0: Usain St. Leo Bolt, a retired Jamaican sprinter, is widely considered to be one of the greatest sprinters of all time. It took less than 10 seconds for him to cover the 100-meter distance on the Olympic track and win the gold medal in the 2012 London Olympic Games. Those few seconds earned him the name Lightning Bolt. Kind of fitting, right? and cemented his status as the fastest man alive, placing him on the winner's podium once again. As an eight-time Olympic gold medalist, Bolt is a world record holder and is the only sprinter to win Olympic 100-meter and 200-meter titles at three consecutive Olympic Games, being the 2008, the 2012, and the 2016. But the race was not won in those seconds. It was won by the habitual practice of evaluating his desires, then prioritizing them under his overarching goal to win the gold medal. Some desires had to be denied, while others required putting off until a later time. To become an Olympic gold medalist, an athlete must never lose sight of his ultimate goal. All his aspirations, wishes, Longings and needs must become secondary to his primary desire to win. Thus, he is willing to do all kinds of things. Lose sleep, restrict his diet, and torture, in my opinion, his body with rigorous training to achieve this purpose. I remember as a kid watching the movie about a Romanian, <laughs> Romanian gymnast, and Olympic gold medalist Nadia Komenich. Does anybody remember? This is what got me very excited about gymnastics, and then, of course, Mary Lou Retton, and, you know, the whole thing. But anyways, I remember watching that movie, and at one point in her career, her life, whatever you want to call it, she began to indulge in things like pizza and snacks and all these things she shouldn't have been eating, and as she did that, what ended up happening is it actually hindered her from being able to perform on the uneven bars, which if I remember correctly, that was her big thing. And it was her desires, right? What was driving her desires in that moment? She was desiring more for that instant gratification to please herself in that moment, to have Whatever tasted good, and she had forgotten her overarching desire to win the gold, to be a champion. This illustration somewhat reflects the Christian's life. In the same way that the athlete must not lose sight of his desire to win the gold medal, the Christian should not lose sight of his desire to bring God glory by forsaking sin and living in a manner that is pleasing to God. The reason Christians fail to bring God glory is because they succumb to sin. They indulge in sin. They delight in sin. They give in to sin. They allow their desire to please self, and they allow that to overrule their desire to please God. And the thing is, we do this over and over and over and over again. And sometimes we recognize it, but the whole premise of this study is that there are things that we do not recognize. And if we do, we dismiss them as less important. doesn't really matter that much. And this is where we have to become more and more sensitive so that we are living in a manner that is bringing God glory. And that means we have to set aside our own personal desires so that God is honored and glorified in our lives. So we have to constantly be keeping in mind our overarching goal. What? To win, right? Paul talks about the Christian life as as if we are athletes. We have to keep in mind that recognizing Our selfish, sinful desires, just in the same way that Nadia Komenich was actually hindering her goal, that's what we do when we live out sinfully. And it's always determined by our desires. So there was a particular paragraph in our reading this week that caught my attention. Jerry Bridges wrote this. In Greek culture, sin originally meant to miss the mark. That is, to miss the center of the target. Therefore, sin was considered a miscalculation or failure to achieve. And we've probably heard that before, right? We've heard this definition. He says, there is some truth in that idea. But usually, our sinful actions stem not from a failure to achieve, but from an inner urge to fulfill our own, guess what the word is, desires. To fulfill our own desires. And this is what trips us up over and over and over and over again. So this is really, as I already said, this is really my heart to really contemplate and think about these things today. And not just to hear these things and think, oh, that was a nice thing to hear. No, you go home and you do the hard work and you begin evaluating your heart, thinking. And as we go through this, we're going to see the very last point here is that we need to think biblically about these things. Our thinking drives our desires. What motivates us to continue in patterns of sin such as discontentment, unthankfulness, lack of self-control, anger, gossip, and resentment are our desires. It all has to do with our desires. What is it that we want? This is a great question to ask yourself continually. What do I want? And when you feel anger building in your heart, you ask yourself, what do I want? Do I want what the Lord wants or do I want what I want? My guess is that the majority of us do truly want to bring God glory. This is the overarching desire of our lives. However, like Nadia Komenich, who chose to satisfy her junk food cravings, we too indulge in our momentary sinful desires, which undermine our primary goal of glorifying God. These little, seemingly unimportant, respectable sins destroy our ability to please and honor God, and they keep us from accomplishing our greatest and most important objective in life, which is To glorify God. And we know this. And some of us, if you've grown up in the church, especially if you know the catechisms, what is it? What's the purpose of our lives? To glorify God. Oh, we can say it so quick. We know the answer. But do we live it? And we often don't because of those desires. When we boil it all down, there are two things that drive our desires. So this is A on your outline. The first one is pleasing self, and the second one is pleasing God. Our desire to please God must surpass or dominate all other desires if we are going to be able to deny the sinful momentary impulses that delight our senses and provide instant gratification. Now, that instant gratification can be all kinds of things. It can be eating something, or it can be giving in to anger because... Um, we stubbed our toe. Okay. So interesting. Craig was, he's been um, listening to a book from Jonathan Edwards about all of his resolutions. Remember his resolutions. Anyways, one of them was that he would not be angry at inanimate objects. (laughs) Craig's like, all these years later, we're still getting mad at inanimate objects. But it's true. What do we want in that moment? We want to express the pain in anger. We are acting out of the desires of our heart rather than desires that please God. So here's another example. Going to the pantry for another snack. We've all been guilty of that. It has to be more important to please God by using self-control than it is to give in to your craving for another snack. So there's that battle that rages while you decide what you are going to do. Remember the battle? So, I want it. I don't need it. Oh, it would taste good. I'm not actually hungry. Just a little more can't hurt. I've already had more than I need. It would make me feel better. I should find my satisfaction in God and not in food. You know that battle. What's going on? The spirit is wrestling against the flesh, and who's gonna win? And whatever is dominating your desires in that moment is who's going to win. So next time you go to the pantry (laughs) or the refrigerator and you're having this battle and you eat it, you remember self won the battle because self in that moment was driving my desires. But here's the amazing thing. When you turn around and you walk away, you can rejoice because that is evidence of the fact that God was driving your desires in that moment. This is huge because in that moment, you are bringing glory and honor to God by denying yourself, knowing that your greed should not dominate. Instead, you are using self-control according to the power of the Holy Spirit and this needs to be the pattern of our lives recognizing those moments of wrestling the temptations and then being able to see when God strengthens us and we can say no i desire to please my heavenly father and then we rejoice because everything he says in his word we've just experienced it's true and a lot of times we live on the other side of that we live on the back side of feeling like so defeated because I did it again. Instead of rejoicing in the times when God strengthens us to live out His power through the Holy Spirit in our lives to please Him and bring glory and honor to Him. So B is tempted by our own desires. And we're actually, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to James 1, because we're actually going to look at Uh, James 1, 13 through 17. And it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. That word lust there actually is desire. Then, when lust has conceived or when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So, this word desire in verse 14, I'm going to explain to you what this means. It can actually have a neutral meaning in the New Testament, but the context here makes it clear that James uses it with a more typical New Testament sense, meaning fleshly or illicit desire. The word often carries for us a sexual connotation, and it has that sense in the New Testament, but it is usually broader meaning, including any human longing for what God has prohibited so essentially that's what Paul is or James excuse me James is saying here is that it's a longing for something that God forbids so notice that James uses two expressions to describe what happens when a person is tempted so the first one is carried away by desire and the second one is enticed by desire so this is a quote from a, a commentator. And he says this, the source of temptation lies within a person. The source. Did you hear that? The source of temptation lies within the person. One is tempted by his own evil desire. James profanities. personifies a person's sinful desire and identifies it rather than some external person or object as the efficient cause of temptation. By one's own sinful desires, a person is dragged away and enticed. James pictures a person's evil desire first as attraction excuse me, attracting his attention and persuading him to approach the forbidden thing. And second, as luring him by means of bait to yield to the temptation. Now that was kind of a long explanation there. So we're going to kind of work it out. So number one on your outline is carried away by desire. So this is what James is saying. So this idea of carried away means this, it means to draw out metaphorically, It is the equivalent to lure or to draw away. The metaphor is taken from hunting and fishing in the same way as game is lured from its covert hiding place. So man by lust is allured from the safety of self-restraint unto sin. So by our desires, we are carried away towards sin. This is why our desires are so important and why we have to be evaluating what do I desire so that we aren't carried away. The second one is enticed by desire. So this word means to bait or to catch by bait. And again, it means to allure or entice. But interestingly, it also has a little additional meaning here in that it means to deceive, which is very appropriate. So it is the same word that Peter uses to describe false teachers. And I thought this was really interesting because in 2 Peter, Peter is describing the the characteristics of false teachers and saying, be warned. Don't listen to them. Don't be like them. So, and I'm going to read um, chapter 2, verse 14, and then verse 18. And he says this as he describes these false teachers. He says, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. That's our word there. Enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. This is what false teachers are seeking to do. They're seeking to entice, to draw away, to deceive unstable souls. Well, then in verse 18, it says, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by what? Fleshly desires. Now, remember, who is the God of this world? Satan. And he works in who? Sons of disobedience. And how does he do that? by looking like an angel of light. Why? Why does he need to look like an angel of light? Because he uses deception to lure us into sin. This is absolutely critical that we understand what's going on here. Essentially, James is saying that temptation arises when a person is dragged away and enticed by what? His own evil desire. And even when it comes to the pantry, and we know we shouldn't, think about this. It is an evil desire that drives us in that moment. We do not like to think about, oh, I ate more than I should have. I'll do better tomorrow. You know, we make jokes about this thing. Have you ever thought about the fact that those little things are evil desires? I don't like to ever think about myself as evil, evil desires, but it is so true. And we need to see the severity of it so that we become more sensitive to it so that then we are grieved by it so that it drives us to holiness, so that God is honored and God is glorified in our lives. James is saying that the same is true for, true for us when it comes to sin. We are like the fish being drawn away by our own desires. We give in to temptation when our own desires are drawn toward things that look enticing and delightful to our sinful flesh. We know that Satan is the great tempter and deceiver, but we give him exactly what he needs by supplying him with sinful, selfish desires that reside in our hearts. See, we want to oftentimes blame Satan. He's the great tempter. And he is. We know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, so we know these things. He is the tempter. He is the deceiver. He is the accuser. Scripture tells us all of this. But it's not that hard to lure us when our own desires are sinful and evil. Stephen Davey wrote this. Don't overlook the fact that we provide Satan with everything necessary to fall into the trap. It's our lusts, it's our desires. He simply baits the hook with the right environment, encounter, visual aid, setting, frustration, moment of discouragement, or longing. He uses such things to add to the lure, to increase the scent, to catch your eye with the movement of the bait on the hook that whispers to the desire you already carry in your heart. This is kind of a long quote. He goes on to say, now Satan's clever trick is to conceal the trap, but expose the bait. Remember, this is why he comes as an angel of light, because it's exactly what he's doing. To disguise the hook and make it look like something other than an instrument of capture. No fish ever swam around in the lake looking for sharp metal hooks. They swim around looking for a meal. The genius of Satan, the world, and the flesh is to disguise the hook to make you believe you're getting a free meal that's going to taste wonderful. And before you know it, you're hooked and you're caught in the trap and you have just responded sinfully. So then C, desire leads to sin. So verse 15 says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So this is from a, another commentator. Douglas Moo says this What James has said involves the innate desire toward evil as it is enticed by the superficial attractiveness of sin. If a person should welcome rather than resist that temptation, desire conceives. And if not turned away immediately, it produces sin. So here's something important to recognize though. He explains, James implies that temptation in and of itself is not sinful. So we can be tempted without sin. Jesus was right. So he goes on to say only when desire conceives and is allowed to produce offspring, does sin come into being. And this is a really great quote here. Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation. Christian maturity is indicated by the infrequency of succumbing to the temptation. What makes you a mature believer is when you are tempted, but you resist the temptation, the same as Christ who was tempted. And this is what our goal is, to be able to resist the temptation. And we wonder sometimes, why am I not able to resist? Why do I keep giving into it? Because we need to evaluate our desires. What are our, our underlying desires in that particular area that we continue to sin. What is it that we want? What is it we're trying to get? What do we want to achieve? How does it bring us pleasure or satisfaction or enjoyment? We have to consider all of those things and dig deeply into our hearts by, by looking into the mirror of Scripture and asking God through His Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds so that we can see why. Why? we have desires that continue to lead us straight into sin. If our desires are not constantly transformed by the renewing of our minds, they will eventually turn to sin. The temptation begins with something we want. It could be any number of a million things in our hearts. They could even be, here's here's the key here, to catch this. They can even be good things. I often talk with women who desire their husbands to be godly. Don't we all, if we're married, we want to have husbands who are godly. This is a good desire, but as they continue to think about how nice it would be for their husbands to be godly, and they review it every day and think about it all the time, and they remind themselves that he isn't godly, their desire grows until it becomes more important to them than pleasing God. Now, all of a sudden, you've taken a good desire for your husband to be godly. And now that has become bigger in your mind than desire to not be sinful as you desire something good. We often get that out of balance. Eventually, their desire begins to control them, and they succumb to sin. And here's Oftentimes, the sins that are evident from that desire becoming so great, they become discontent. And notice how many of these actually are things we're going to cover later in the book. Unforgiving, harsh, disrespectful, nagging, or contentious. If we want our husbands to be godly, does it not make sense that we would want ourselves to be godly as well? But how often in our desire for our husbands to be godly, we actually are ungodly. How hypocritical. Because we have wrong desires. Desires that don't please God. Anything that, that ends up in sin in our lives, like I said before, is an indicator that we have a wrong desire. And if you become discontent, contentious, You have to evaluate, again, what is my desire? Why has this gotten to the point that now I'm sinning because I'm not getting what I want? So what began as a good desire, one that wanted to please the Lord, eventually developed into a selfish desire that led to sin. So here's just a couple more examples of this. So college-age girls say things like this. I'm lonely. I really want to be married. I really want to be in a relationship. And he's so nice. He gives me attention and talks to me. He thinks I'm pretty. Their desire to have someone love them to, get, to escape that loneliness makes them susceptible to the temptation of the affections and building a romantic relationship with an unbelieving young man. How many women have had desires that are greater for a relationship, for escaping loneliness, than they have a desire to please the Lord? And I'm not saying this is easy, especially as women get older. That desire can grow, and it's a good desire, right? God's the one that invented marriage. Marriage is a good thing, but when it gets out of balance it leads and ends up in sin. So you desire, another example, you desire to control your time and accomplish certain things in a day. So this is me right here, especially when my kids were little. I have these desires. I always have a thousand things I want to accomplish in a day. I'm a task-oriented person. Okay, so when your children argue and fail to do their schoolwork and your husband asks you to run several errands for him, these things become a temptation to sin because your sinful fleshly desire is to do what you want to do, to do what you want to do and accomplish your list. Ooh, I love checking things off my list. And I tell you what, that can become an idol in my heart because I want that more than I want to please the Lord. And it was so wonderful having four kids close together because I was always demanded of, and the Lord really had to squeeze this out of me And it was such a blessing that he began to help me recognize my sinful tendency toward this because as the kids began to get older and and teenagers and we were working through heart issues in their lives, sometimes you would go have a conversation with one of your teens for two hours in the bedroom about their heart and think about all the things that didn't get accomplished. And I had to begin to view that as God-ordained Time in my life that was way more important, of way more value than accomplishing my temporal, in the sense of eternal and temporal, my temporal list of getting the dishes done, getting the house clean, getting the store, all these things. The heart of my child that is eternal was way more important. But see, this is it, doesn't matter how old we are, we have to realize that God is sovereign and He orchestrates our time and our days. And he's the one that brings inconveniences or time constraints. Even this morning as I was driving, I had wanted to get here really early, which it all ended up fine because I got here early. But I wanted to get here really early just to make sure everything was covered. So I left five minutes later than I wanted, which was still okay. And then I get down to the end of my driveway, and which is really long. And um, I don't know how it's affecting you guys, but the guys are cutting down tons of trees all over the place where the wires are. And so down the edges of my driveway there's all these sticks there that they need to chop up and get rid of. So I'm sitting there waiting and he's reversing very slowly down the driveway and I'm just sitting there going, okay Lord, well I guess my desire needs to be for you. (laughs) So that means if I'm late then this is all within your plan. And God was gracious and kind and I wasn't late and it was all fine. But in that moment, that's an inconvenience because I have a list of things to do. (laughs) Am I gonna look at it and see it as God's sovereignty placing this in my life so that I will respond in a manner that pleases him without being fearful, without being anxious, without being angry, without being frustrated and instead go, it's okay. Because I make my plans, and what do you do, Lord? You direct my steps, and you direct in this moment that I don't take any, and that's okay. So James 1.16, he moves on, and he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So here's the important thing, and I don't know that we always kind of connect how this all flows together here in this passage, but when he says, do not be deceived, he's talking about sinful fleshly desires that are deceitful. So, D is sinful or fleshly desires are deceitful. And James is warning us here be aware your desires are deceitful when they are directed by self. The word deceive here, so this is Stephen Davy again. He says, the word deceive here means to allow lust, or remember, desire to blur your thinking so that you forsake the truth to follow a lie. James is telling us, beware. This is how temptations work. Stay alert. Don't be blindsided. Keep your eyes open. Don't be deceived by your own lusts. We are deceived because we are being guided by our desires rather than God's desires. Our desires blind us to the truth. Why? Why is that the case? Because if we are not being guided by the Holy Spirit, we revert to that flesh, that sinful flesh, right? And what do we know about the sinful flesh? It's deceitful. The heart is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. So naturally, if our desires are being governed and directed by sinfulness, they are going to be deceitful. Because we are deceived by our own desires, the sin we commit didn't look like sin when we were contemplating it. And Stephen Davy actually gave these examples, which I thought were helpful. So he says, <clears throat> when we're contemplating the way we're going to respond and we're at this crossroads of temptation, it didn't, oh, excuse me, it looked like the way to popularity Think back to being a teenager and the things that drive us because we want people to like us. It looked like personal satisfaction. It looked like being able to be you. It looked like true love. It looked like a way to get out of debt. It looked like relief from pressure. It looked like the next move up the ladder. Just, I mean, does your mind just fly with the things that, just in these little examples that can be happening? It looked like this, and that ends up in all kinds of things. White-collar crime, stealing from your company, all kinds of things. Why? Because it looked like the next move up the ladder, compromise in little things. It looked like a logical step to take. It looked like being appreciated. It looked like fun. It just looked. Good because it's deceptive. And if we don't know the truth of the Word of God, then how do we identify what is going on? There is only one source that will help us to recognize this and to be able to identify what is truth and what isn't. And when those crossroads of temptation come, so that we are not lured. By deception into things, we have to know the word of God so that we are wise. So how do you avoid your fleshly desires? So E is we must delight in God. James 117 says, Every good excuse me, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Our desires cloud our view of the goodness of God. We doubt his character. We doubt his word. We doubt his ways. Our own sinful desires deceive us the same way Satan deceived Eve in the garden. James is reminding us that God is good and everything he gives us is good good. So this is what he's saying. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from the father. Don't forget that. Don't be deceived by thinking this is the way to accomplish whatever it is that you want to accomplish. Don't be deceived by your own sinful desires. God is good. The gift of his son is good. His word is good. His commandments are good. And what is more? What does James tell us? He will never change. We can trust him and we can trust his ways. Why? Because there is no variation or shifting shadow. God will never change. He is always good. And the things that he gives us are always good. But sometimes we want what satisfies us now more than we want the good gifts that God supplies. And we've got to avoid that. The psalmist also reminds us to delight in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So just really clear, and I'll mention this in a minute, but the word desire there is more petition than it is the definition that we're talking about um, through our message today. But we'll come back to that in a minute. So number one is delight. Delight means to seek our happiness in God. This This is what we should constantly be pursuing is delighting in God. Albert Barnes said this, The meaning here is that we should seek our happiness in God, in his being, his perfections, his friendship, his love. The fact that you seek your happiness in him will regulate your desires so that you will be disposed to ask only those things which it will be proper for him to grant. And then William Plumer says this, let your most exquisite delight be in the existence, name titles, attributes, works, providence, word, and ordinances of the Lord. There is an absurdity in calling on men to be delighted with vanities. And yet, think about this. This is precisely, so. he says, there is an absurdity in calling on men to be delighted with vanities. And yet, this is precisely what we are doing when we delight in anything other than the Lord. Every time we delight in something more than we delight in God, our desire becomes sinful. And so I know we say these kinds of things a lot. Okay, so we need to delight in the Lord. Obviously, this is important. We need to um, pant after the Lord the same way the deer does with this, this great desire for the Lord. Why don't we do that? Why is it that when I sit down and read my Bible, I don't get anything out of it? Why does it just become words on a page? Why am I not connecting to the truth of God's word? And let me, let me um, try and, and help you think this through a little bit. The more we evaluate our own hearts and our own lives and the more we become sensitive to our sin. Now, I'm not saying we, we focus on self more than God. That's not what I'm saying here. But as we look into the Word and we consider our hearts as we look into the Word, that is what is going to give us delight for the Word because as we read it and we consider if we are like it, We realize that we aren't, and then we want to know why we aren't, and then we want to know how to change it. What does that do? That drives us to the Word. If you struggle to be in the Word and to study it, to be thrilled by it, to love it, it is most likely because it is strictly words to you. It is knowledge to you. It needs to be heart to you. You need to look at it and evaluate life, everything that happens in your life. You need to evaluate it according to the word so that the word is living in your life because that's what the word is, right? It's living and active. But so often when we go to the word, it's like it's dead. And then we don't ever grow, but we go to it. And start somewhere really, really practical. And then use your cross-references on the side. Go to Blue Letter Bible. If you don't know what that is, ask me later. And look up verses that help you understand, that give you more more, um, broader knowledge on the subject. And then pray and ask that the Lord would give you understanding. Because if, if you don't know how to do that, you're never going to be able to evaluate your desires. And if you can't evaluate your desires, then you are going to live out of your sinful flesh, which is what we entirely have to avoid. So another quote here from John Howe. This is from Treasuries of David. Consider that your condition on earth is such as exposes you to many sufferings and hardships. We all agree with that, right? Life is full of trials and difficulties. And then he says by which by your not delighting in Him, in God, you can never be sure to avoid, for there are things common to men, but which by your delighting in Him, in God, you may be easily able to endure. See, it is our delighting in God that enables us to endure through trials without sin. And as I was thinking about this, I remembered Psalm 119:92 it says this If your law had not been my delight I would have perished in my affliction Yes you would have But the psalmist is saying but I delighted in the Lord I delighted in his word and because of that when the affliction came I did not perish I did not respond in sin because he had already been delighting in the truths of God's word. Only by delighting in the Lord will we have the ability to stand firm without responding in sinfulness when we are afflicted by various trials. We do not delight ourselves in the Lord. Excuse me, if we do not delight ourselves in the Lord, our desires will always ultimately be for ourselves. Only as we cultivate delight in Him will He plant within our hearts desires that bring glory and honor to him and I forgot to grab it oh wait actually I have one right here the chart so I don't know if this will make any sense to you guys what's in my head try and get it out on paper because sometimes it's helpful to be able to see something okay let's look at it and see so I made this little chart here just to help you maybe think through what I'm talking about on a practical level so the little um The little lines at the bottom. So the blue line is a life whose desires are consistent with pleasing and glorifying God. And then the red is a life whose whose desires are influenced by the deceitfulness of pleasing self. So on the left, we have a woman whose desires are controlled by delight in God. And then in the middle, we have that temptation. And then over on the right side, a woman who is deceived by selfish or fleshly desires So I want you just to see kind of what's going on here and how this works out really, really practically. So the temptation is you go to your favorite coffee shop or perhaps you're just rushing and you go by Starbucks in the morning and you get in the car and you realize they got my coffee wrong. The coffee's wrong. What are you going to do about it? So the woman whose desires are controlled by delight in God She knows God is sovereign and does everything for her good. She desires to please God and chooses to be thankful for the coffee, showing kindness to the barista. Her response aligns with the primary goal of glorifying God. Okay, so that is a woman who has proper desires, desires that are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now look to the other side. This is the woman who is deceived by selfish or fleshly desires. So, same temptation, coffee order is messed up. She forgets or ignores in that moment. God is good and sovereign. She views herself as more important than the Breeston. Of course, we know that that goes right against Philippians 2, 3, and 4. She is deceived by her desires. She thinks she deserves perfect coffee. I mean, for goodness sake, she paid for it, right? So, if she paid for it, she should have got what she paid for. She deserves perfect coffee. She becomes angry. She responds rudely. Her response does not align with glorifying God. So, you see what is going on here. We can evaluate what our desires are. So, the next one the temptation is husband or teen ruins your new shirt by putting it in the dryer. And you loved it, it was so cute. You were going to wear it to church on Sunday so everybody could see it. And now you can't. She knows, so, this is the right response. She knows God is sovereign and good. He gives and takes away. In this instance, what was his choice? To take away. And we think about that in the big things, right? Because Job is the one that said that. And what did God take away from Job? Everything. Everything. His children. And That's always where I go. I think children. Like everything else, whatever. But children. But we don't think about the fact that it's the little things God gives and takes away as well. And so then we get angry when he takes things away that we really wanted. But in this case, she's responding rightly because she keeps this in her mind. Uh, God provides her needs. She desires to please God and chooses to extend grace and kindness to her husband or her teen, knowing people are external and clothing is... Did I say external? People are eternal. This is why I should have my glasses on. And clothing is temporal. So she responds in a manner that glorifies the Lord. So then look at the woman on the other side. She forgets again or ignores the fact that God is sovereign and good. She is critical of her husband or her team, assuming she would never do that. She's deceived by her desires. She blames her husband becoming angry. Her thoughts toward him become proud and resentful. Her response does not align with glorifying God. You see the pattern of thought here. You see how desire drives these things. Last one. So, actually, I, well, I will. So, eating another snack. So, at different times, I was putting this together and then realized later I had kind of the same examples, but we'll do it anyway. So, um, the woman who's seeking to glorify God, she knows she should not be controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit. Though she would like to eat the snack, she prays for strength to resist. She thanks the Lord for his many good gifts. She prays for contentment so she will only eat what she needs. And then the other woman. She looks to find satisfaction and pleasure in food rather than in Holy Spirit-empowered self-control. Deceived, she is deceived by her desires. She indulges her momentary fleshly desires rather than pleasing God by exercising self-control. And again, her response is not one that brings glory to God. So your little summary here at the bottom. So the woman that is controlled by her desire to please the Lord, look at the response. Her life is conformed to Christ. Now we know from Romans eight twenty nine. this is what God is seeking to do in our lives, right? He's seeking to make us look like his perfect son, Jesus Christ. One day he will complete what he has started. So her life Is conformed to Christ, not perfectly, but of course, this is what her goal is. God is glorified. Believers are edified and encouraged by her example. Unbelievers see the light of the gospel in her life. And on the other side, then, look, her life pattern does not reflect the character of Christ. Believers are not edified or encouraged by her example. Unbelievers see little difference in her life compared to theirs. So hopefully by maybe visualizing it, you can kind of see the two different categories and really consider, and even just the end parts there, are other people encouraged by my response in this situation? Are other people edified? the the unbelieving world looking into my life? Can they see that I belong to Christ or do I look like them as I make this decision? So our... Well, we're not quite to our last point, almost there. So desire here. So delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So remember I said that this is request or petition. If we delight in God, our desires will reflect what he desires. That's what's being said in this verse. So John Bunyan said this, the desires of God and the desires of the righteous agree in one. They are of one mind in their desires. So if we are delighting in the Lord, our desires are going to reflect his desires. And when they do, the things we ask for are in accordance to his will. And then he will answer those things. And the problem is a lot of times we pray for things that are not in his will we should be praying that God would help us to be patient, help us to be content, all these different things. And then we have to work out our salvation. We have to put forth effort, right? We don't just sit back and let God do all this. No, he strengthens us as we put forth the effort. Spurgeon said this, men who delight in God desire or ask for nothing except what will please God. Is this the way we pray as we delight in him? Because our desires should always be mirroring his desires so that when we ask of him, when we request of him, we are asking in accordance to his will. So then our last point, F, thoughts determine desire. And I just, I just had to end with this to kind of get all the way, kind of go full circle, I guess maybe we could say, because this is absolutely critical. And I know that I say this fairly frequently, but it is key to how we live and please the Lord. What do we think about? Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. Our thoughts determine who we are and what we want. Paul Paul um, Paul describes to us. Oh, okay, sorry. Moving on to the next thing here. So, Paul describes to us what should fill our thoughts. So, um, our verse in Proverbs says, "As a man thinks within himself, so is he." Now, this verse has been taken out of context many times. If you think it, you'll get it. If you if you envision it, it'll happen. That is not what this verse means. This verse means, as he thinks. That is who he is. And this verse is actually pulled out of a verse of warning. Be careful, because just because somebody's doing something nicely, be careful as he thinks in himself, so is he. So then Paul goes on, of course, in Philippians 4. And I know we, we mention this verse frequently, but we have to come back to it again now. Because Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Because our thinking determines our desire. And if we are not thinking right things, we will desire wrong things. And those wrong desires will lead to sin. I can't emphasize this enough years ago like probably when i was a teenager and young adult i heard this a lot more um, and actually i was listening to some old sermons by by john macarthur and he was saying the whole computer thing garbage in garbage out but that is exactly right and we don't hear that as much today i mean we say it in different ways but what are things we are putting into our minds because when i was a kid of course it was always like what movies are you watching what music are you listening to those things we still have to evaluate still have to consider But let me say, it has gotten so much more overwhelming with the things that can influence our thoughts. We always have our phones next to us. What is influencing how you are thinking? Is it true? Number one, just start there. Is it true? Does it align with Scripture? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good repute? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? We spend so much time thinking about things and being influenced by things that do not reflect this verse, and it then influences our desires, and we wonder why we respond sinfully over and over again. We have to discipline our minds to think rightly put this verse up wherever you need to to bring it back to mind. Make sure you are going to the word over and over and over again. All day long, your thoughts should be consumed with with who God is and whether or not you are pleasing him. And I know we live and have earthly responsibilities. And sometimes, you know, when we're helping our teenager do math problems, we're not necessarily thinking about whether God is honored. But is he honored in the way I'm speaking? Is he honored in the way that I'm explaining this? Is he honored in my response when they don't get it? Is he honored in my response when they get frustrated? Do you see how this works? Like, even in the earthly things, we need to be thinking about ways that please and honor the Lord all day long, every day, because our lives need to be guided by the desires of our Heavenly Father. John MacArthur said this in some of those sermons. So just note here, do you remember like two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago, Chris mentioned sermons he was listening to by John MacArthur? Well, anyways, I was listening to those. Oh, now I'm going to forget what the name of them were, so I was going to tell you. Anyways, fantastic. Chris said they were good. They were wonderful. Anyway, he said this in one of them. You've got to protect your mind because that is what determines what you want and what you desire and that's what determines how you react to the stimuli of life. Let me read it again. You've got to protect your mind because that is what determines what you want and what you desire and that's what determines how you react to the circumstances in your life. The more you think about the character and work of God, the more you will desire to please Him. When you consider His glory, His majesty, His creation, His salvation through Jesus Christ, the more you will recognize your littleness, your insignificance, and your need to relinquish your selfish desires for His magnificent, eternal desires. The more you desire, The more your desires align with his desires, the less you will sin. So, if you get nothing out of what I said this morning, you walk away with this asking yourself, What do I desire? Do I desire to please the Lord in this? Do I desire to please myself? What is driving or who is driving my desires? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your blessed, wonderful, convicting, encouraging word that enlightens our minds, that gives us understanding to your truth. Father, I pray that you would help us to consider these things, that we would not walk away and forget what we've heard, but even as we leave here today, that our thoughts would be contemplating this as we we walk into the crossroads of temptation, that we would evaluate our hearts and consider, do I desire to please you or do I desire to please myself? And Lord, let it be our habitual practice to cry out to you that you would help us to respond in a manner that pleases you because our desires are for you so that we will hear you say one day, Well done, good and faithful servant. This is our heart's desire. Father, please help us not to squander this time, this life that you have given us by feeding our own desires over and over again. Let us be changed by the power of your spirit and by the understanding of your word. In your name we pray, amen.